UMass fans on your tweets and make some noise for your podcaster. Well, can you believe what's going on in the Atlantic 10 today? Oh, I remember man. when Penn State was in the Atlantic 10. <laughs> and he rips him down, he puts him in his seat, and he looks at him and goes, that was fucking hilarious, but you really just got to shut up. I think I'd rather die in nuclear war than go to Olympia. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Jack O'Neill, former play, not play-by-play guy, but former public address announcer and also a local radio personality in the Springfield area who was there during, I think he probably died in like the early aughts, maybe like 2007, 2008. And he used to open his public address stuff at UMass Games by saying, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the William D. Mullen Center. For tonight's game between the visitors, the Owls of Westfield State University, and then he would do this, and the Minutemen. So anyway, that's what I was thinking of as I was saying that. But uh, this is your your dutiful host, Curry Hicks Sage, host of the UMass Basketball Podcast. As we get set for another season of the UMass Basketball Podcast, this makes season number two for us. I'm joined tonight in our nation's capital by Bennett Carroll producer of this fine program, my usual Andrew Callagy, a.k.a. A. Callagy for longtime listeners, is apparently at a Celtics game, and Bennett and I just kind of said, fuck it, let's do a show tonight. I want to caveat and uh, sort of open by noting that this is a decidedly preseason podcast. I think Cal and I this week or early very early next, i.e. Monday, before the formal opener versus UMass Lowell. But there were some things to talk about tonight because UMass's 84-60 victory over the aforementioned Owls of Westfield State, a Division Three foe, frankly, not a very good one at the Mullen Center. So there are some things we just were itching to banter about, and we said, fuck it, let's do a, a short podcast tonight give the people a little a little more uh action before the season starts we haven't released a show other than the special john calipari interview which i actually recorded in like august and i think we released at the in the early part of this month i don't think we've done a show since football oh we did the special episode after the uh umass football media blackout scandal Probably a lot of interest on UMass Twitter among a very sort of diehard cohort. But interestingly, its numbers were nowhere near even a regular good episode of this does. So it's probably us reading the tea leaves a bit incorrectly, uh, although I still found it a fun episode. So needless to say, this is the first basketball episode we've done in a while. Kind of consider this our exhibition, and then next week we'll get we'll get humming. I am using a new that were uh, purchased by, well, it's headphones with a better mic, purchased by donations given to the show. So thanks for that. However, I'm not doing a record, new recorder I got uh, that just came in because I need um, a SD card that I ordered from Amazon and didn't arrive today. I thought it would for this show. So just FYI, I'll be recording in higher def, not, not literally, but, uh, you know, a better, a better format. So, Bennett, what's going on with you? 
I am I am doing well. Sorry, I had to I had to put flip myself on on uh, on two separate apps there. Uh, I'm doing well, uh, enjoying uh, enjoying life. Happy to to have college basketball coming back. Uh, I watched about ten minutes of an NBA game and realized I remembered why I like college and not NBA. And uh, I am why is that? To, Let me ask you. I think it's just and. I hate to be like, oh, it's the teamwork, because that sounds like... By the way, that is me pouring popcorn into a bowl right now. <laughs> and to the haters who have uh, begrudged me that in the past, you're not winning this year, <laughs> just like you didn't win last year. So, uh, sorry, haters. Popcorn tonight it is. And Bennett, carry on. Yeah, I I, I think it's, it's just... It's a different kind of game. It's so much more team-based, with the exception of, like, the top-level players... It's so much more of a team game. I think it's just more pure basketball. And, like, also the NBA season is over. I mean, it's four games in, and we know who's winning the championship. Clay Thompson had 15 three-pointers in a game, in a half a game. They scored, 90, they scored 92 points in the first. Yeah, I, I literally, I saw, because I'm, technically I'm a Bulls fan, but I'm not a Bulls fan. I, I think I. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Knicks fan, so, like, that season's been over for two decades. Yeah, like, like. I literally, I looked at the score and went, wow, they held him to 60 points in the whole game? And like, oh, no, this is the first half. <laughs> uh, no, no, that was like the first quarter. Yeah. It was 92, so probably early in the second. Well, no, I'm saying the Bulls only had 68 or whatever it was. Oh. And I was like, oh, wow, 92-68. All right, that was closer than I would have expected. And I went and looked. It was, oh, it was the uh, it was only halftime. But, I yeah, I just, I feel like upsets – are more common in college and they, they mean more in college. Like if, if, um, you know, the, the worst team in basketball beats the Warriors, it doesn't really mean anything. Like the Warriors are still the best team in all this stuff, but like that means something in college basketball. I don't know. I just never been an NBA guy. So I kind of like, I love the NBA back in the day and we'll get to UMass in a second. Um, and then like, I have come back to it in recent years and I, and, but mostly only for the playoffs. So regular season, I'm kind of just like, there's just, I mean, 82 games is a lot. I, I honestly, you know, having watched the Red Sox and got back into the Red Sox in the last couple of weeks, it's just amazing to me that people uh, have the ability to, not even just the time, because like, I think you can make the time if you come home and you get your shit done and you watch a couple hours. Like, just the commitment of a full baseball season is, is so impressive to me. So with basketball, it's sort of the same thing. But it's almost even more impressive because of the foregone conclusion of, like, certainly who's winning the West. Um, but needless to say, I do think with the NBA, the talent, there's so much incredible talent right now in terms of individual players that as much as the high scoring and sort of foregone conclusion stuff is a little preposterous, there are some dudes who are just absolute fucking freaks. And you forget how good they are when you, you watch a college game tonight, like UMass versus Westfield State. And there's just a lot of missed open looks that in the NBA they just don't miss. So I, I, I'm, I am all in on like sort of ridiculous of how high scoring it's been this year. But at the same time, they are the best athletes in the world. And I think when it's like a LeBron and you know versus Celtics or something, I mean, there, there's some really good good drama. Anyway, yeah, I think there are definitely good matchups. It's just like an average college game I find more enjoyable than an average NBA game. I think. Whatever. Not important. All right, so 
let's just break down tonight real simply. It's not going to be a a, a stylistically original podcast tonight. We're just going to do kind of break down position groups, talk a little about what we saw tonight, talk about some question marks moving forward, and talk about some bright spots. So let's get into the game. Uh, I watched basically all but the final eight minutes. Also missed the first two and a half, three minutes of the second half when they went on an 11-0 run. Team was a little rusty out of the gate. But the truth is, I had a lot of questions going in tonight about just how things would look. McCall has been pretty reserved and probably wisely so about sort of what to expect this season in terms of specific personnel stuff. I mean, he's alluded to style of play and kind of talked about what guys can do, but you didn't know exactly how he was going to mix and match. And I thought it was very interesting how he did. And I, and, and though the first four minutes were very concerning, you can't read any, anything into that in an exhibition game. The other 36 on the whole, I know it's Westfield state. I know they're a bad division three program. I was very encouraged. I was encouraged because as I said on Twitter, for those who don't follow me on Twitter, you know, I don't want to get much into Kellogg this year. We're, we're, on, we're beyond that. We know, you know, who we are now and, and it is what it is. But, you know, the legacy of nine years under him still lingers in certain ways. One of them is that one of his trainings was basically like, we want to play UMass back. And the truth is, nobody knew what the fuck that even meant. Okay, let's just like, <laughs> it was kind of like under Chaz Williams, it was like Chaz Kitball. But after that, it was like, I guess it's pressing and a lot of length and bodies and athletes and some, a lot of threes. And like, you know, nobody knew what that meant. Nobody, I mean, like, if you knew what that meant, please let me know in terms of a compelling identity and brand okay we had the you know in 2014 there was like they tried to trademark pain and it was like pressure agitate intensity like it was like a just a word salad of nothingness and <laughs> that's actually now that i think about it that that one goes down kind of in the annals of poor branding decisions because <laughs> bennett can you look up <laughs> this is not where i saw the show going and I hate to be a dickhead, but like, what the fuck did pain mean? <laughs> it was no, you had. I'm pretty sure you had three quarters were right. I believe the end was neutralized because that was that was that? prime me. That was my junior year. But like, wait, hold on. Pressure, okay. Pressure the ball, sort of defensive intensity. I get that. Agitate. Oh, let me let me let me let me Same double thing check. As pressure. Yeah. House of Pain, you It's like Tony Reale and like the old those old that's like fact checking. All right, stat boy or whatever. Here we go, Massachusetts Daily Collegiate. Oh, by Mark Shirelli, of course. Mark Shirelli from, oh, from my, my graduating yeah, of the my show. Graduating I, class. Uh, pain is an acronym: pressure, agitate, interrupt, and neutralize. Uh, that they don't really explain it. Uh, we got the House of Pain senior forward Raphael Putney said. People don't know what the House of Pain feels like until they get here. So when they come here, they're really going to feel that, especially with the sold-out crowd. This was in advance of the VCU game. House of Pain, uh, pretty good uh, early '90s hip hop. But I'll have, and, I'm going to have I'm going to have jump around fading in here. Please do, yeah, yeah. That, um, so that was actually 
um, cool, I guess, as an atmosphere play, like, you know, get the Mullins jumping, blah, blah, blah. Oh, no pun intended. Jump around, get the Mullins jumping, House of Pain. I'm sure they hadn't actually thought of that, but I just did Well, they, they would play House of Pain at least at least once a game. They like, would play jump around. So it, it might be a little bit more connected than we think. Uh, so, so first it's pressure, right? It was pre- uh, pressure, agitate, interrupt, and neutralize, quote, All right, let's- and follows a concept similar to the Rams' embodiment of the Havoc mindset. That's basically all it was, was they saw no, Havoc I know. and went. Well, they saw Havoc and they're like, let's do our own thing. But let's yeah. just actually go through it. Pressure, okay, I get it. Agitate, basically the same thing as pressure. That's totally right. redundant. Right, but it, but uh, it, you need an A. What was the I? It can't interrupt? be pin. Yeah, interrupt, which. Okay, interrupt what? Like, is this like a high, uh, a tech startup? Like, you I, know, or, you my, know, your disruptor? Well, or is this like. Interrupt is in like steal the ball. Yeah, okay. my, my thought is like the full court press, but like they weren't good at the full court press. If and I then, and then neutralize. Well, they they actually were they they pressured the ball. I mean, they 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 turned they guys over points, that year. But yeah, all right. But then neutralize is so soft. It's like it's like you're pressuring, you're agitating, you're what's the eye again? Interrupting, uh, and now you're just you're just neutralizing. Like that's so tame. It's so modest. It's like anyway. The point is of all this roundabout silly rant and critique on the program's branding decision with Matt McCall. And he has a few words that he says himself. And I I don't even remember them because that's not what I'm paying attention to, but his, the, the, the staples of what he looks for in a player and what he wants to impose on other teams the style is so clear. And tonight, the most encouraging thing was for all of the sort of early jitters and, and mistakes and missed shots, the things he talks about relentlessly or unrelentingly were apparent in spades. So here's what those things are. First, they play really hard. That sounds obvious and basic, but they don't take possessions off. They play really hard. They crash the boards. There were some problems a little bit rebounding-wise, but guys were going after their, following their own shot. They were diving for loose balls. They were taking an obscene amount. We're out yet, but they took an obscene amount of charges, which he talks about in any pregame interview. You hear him talking about like how they reward charges taken. I think they even keep that stat in practice. Okay, so next. He talks about connectedness and chemistry all the time, and it's apparent that he means it because you just looked on the bench tonight at several moments, and the support guys were giving each other was abundantly clear. And I'm not talking about like three guys. I'm talking about every guy on that bench. I'm not going to say that you can quantify sentiment, right? Like it's hard, but there were just so many times in the previous era where – there was always a guy or two kind of looking the other way. This was an exhibition game, and guys were up. Guys were hyped on the bench. So that was really encouraging. And guys play really fucking hard. I think I just said that. Maybe I'm, I'm you know, maybe I, I'm reiterating. But the point is, McCall talks about connectedness, intensity, and energy. And every play tonight, pretty much, you know, there was moments where, whatever, they played with those those staples and there were some things you know 
that were a little rusty, a lot of missed shots, but you never for a second got the moment, got the, got the sense that guys were taking possessions off, that guys weren't all locked in. Now, obviously, it's easier to do that in game one, an exhibition game. But you just got the sense, and, and by the way, this is, this is one of his things, because he always talks about it, is passion. Every player on the floor tonight, pretty much every player, yeah, was playing with passion. There was, there was a desire to be there. And I know I've said this a lot in the show. It's, it's something I've harped on. And it's, it's kind of one thing I believe in deeply from having watched, you know, 25 years of college basketball now is that, and it seems almost cliche, but next level effort yields next level results. So, you know, there's a lot of guys in college who are, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old kids, and it's very easy to forget, and I've said this so many times, but it's very easy to forget that, particularly as the season goes on in January and February, you know, bringing that intensity to practice every single day and to games every single day is really hard. So that's why, first of all, like, let's not go too crazy over tonight because it's October 30th. That being said, I believe... Again, hard to quantify, but I believe that either, there, you just kind of know it when you see it. There is, there is a certain energy that defines teams and that you know right away. That whether the execution and the playmaking or, or all that stuff is, is there or not, if the energy is there, there's an encur- it's encouraging as a fan. And, and maybe it's because I think there were moments under, under in the Kellogg regime where and there are many things I think Kelly did, did well, for, for the record. But there were moments where you just got – there were certain players and, 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 and instances where you're just like, these guys are kind of dogging it. And there were guys, frankly – I don't need to name names, but there were guys on last year's McCall roster who he inherited from Derek Kellogg. I'm thinking of one in particular who was just not always locked in. And tonight, I just didn't see any of that on the bench. And I think as a coach and as a program and, and building a culture – that's critical. You know, McCall's a hard-charging motherfucker. There's going to be instances where, guy, where he drives guys nuts later in the year. And, you know, those will be tests because it's hard. It's fucking hard to go as hard as him. Um, you know, and, and certain other Division One coaches who have a sort of mono, monomaniacal intensity that can be tough to match if you're a kid not making money and not getting the playing time you want. But I genuinely think that partic- that the one thing I've noticed tonight that I'm hoping is a narrative throughout the season, and it's clearly a point of emphasis for McCall, is that this team brings energy. They play with passion, and they care, and they care about one another, and that will get you through a lot of adversity, and I think that's what I'm most encouraged by right now. So before we even get into the kind of technical side of things and, and the specifics of what I saw from a basketball perspective, I think the imposing you know kind of imposing a a culture is so much clearer than it was last year he has mostly all his guys um it's clear the way they want to do things the it's clear they hit the they they went really hard in the offseason and i'm just really encouraged by that because last year i think we saw we saw a lot of that but first of all they didn't have the numbers to do it consistently and second of all they you know it's it's just year one it's always an adjustment period so that's what I'm most encouraged by. Let's talk about players. 
position by position now that we've now that we've seen some stuff tonight. So let's start in the backcourt. And let's just say first and foremost, Luan Pipkins was fantastic tonight. And I don't mean that in the sense that his numbers were so freakishly incredible. I think he had 21 points, which was great. Uh, he didn't even play that much. I, I don't think he played the last like 10 minutes. But he looks a little stronger, a little quicker, and a little, even a little more under control. He just played completely in the flow of the offense. There was a confidence there that was not a bravado. It was just kind of a, a quiet confidence, and it's so clear he's ready to embrace that role of just like he is the star now. Um, and, and I worried about that a little, and I probably still will throughout the year, but I think Luan strikes me as a very self-assured kid, particularly on the court. He knows who he is. He knows what he can do. And he's not trying to be anything he's not. And I think particularly his freshman year, at times he was. I think he was pressing a little. Um, there was also, you know, you had Giroux in that team. I think there was just a lot of options. And I think at times, as is common with freshmen, like you just didn't quite, you know, have the same uh, – the same, the same poise he does right now. He grew into that last year throughout the season. But even last year when he had these fantastic games, this incredible season, at times, and it's understandable because he was being double and triple teamed, it looked more difficult than it did tonight. Tonight he just looked smoother. Like it, it's, it's hard to explain. It's just, every time he had the ball, you're just like, yeah, he's not going to lose the ball. He's going to make the right decision. Hit some great passes. I don't think he took a single bad shot. I, I, you know, so he's great. Like, it's just completely clear. He's obviously in the running for Atlantic 10 Player of the Year, preseason all-conference. I'm not worried about him. Uh, Carl Pierre played like dog shit tonight, but he's the only player on the team who, for whom playing like dog shit in a game like this doesn't concern me at all. Curtis Cobb, 6'5", length, guard, Fairfield transfer, played two years at Fairfield, scored 46. Score, Liberham Munson for high school. Fall Grew up in, I think, the Fall River area of Massachusetts. Local kid, uh, sat out last year, has really gained some strength in the offseason uh, in his kind of year and a half off now. He was lights out to start. I mean, I don't have a box score in front of me, but he was absolutely lights out to start. He was He's a scorer. I mean, scorers score. His game is interesting because it was a little bit different than I was expecting. Um, I guess it, it looked exactly like I was expecting, but his shot, the release looks a little different. It's not the prettiest shot in the world, but he makes baskets. And he's, he's got a certain, I don't know if it's a shiftiness, but it's this, he, he gets his shot off. Like there's something about college, certain college kids where they don't always get their shot off, even if they have a good looking shot. He was sort of the opposite. It wasn't like the prettiest looking shot, but you never were concerned about him getting it off. And he stroked at points. Like he was lights out in the first half for, you know, a, a stretch. Encouraging. Gives us another option on the perimeter. Helps spread defenses. Um, didn't really watch closely enough defensively to make a, to make a characterization at this point, but I didn't get the sense that he was like an incredible defender, but I was very encouraged by what he brought. Kieran Hayward transferred from LSU, played sparingly there his freshman year. From Australia, certainly not gun shy. Uh, three, it looks like I'm looking at the box score now, and he was four for eight, three for seven from three. 
three boards, uh, finished with 11 points. You know, he's a shooter. Like, that's what he is. And there's going to be moments where he just hits some back-breaking threes this year. He's going to come off the bench and have that night where you know, he might go he might go a week and a half with, without making a meaningful impact, and then he's going to come in in a big game and just bury a couple threes, and, and, and it's just going to be awesome. He's going to have moments this year, and I was encouraged that he was ready. Uh, maybe one or two of those shots tonight was like, oh, wow. But they actually might have gone in. So I'm encouraged. I think he can give us – he's the kind of guy who can give us anywhere from like – seven to 21 minutes a night, depending on the night and who else is hot. Um, I think because Cobb puts him on the floor a little more and he's a bit more of a slasher, he's the kind of guy who can give us 15 to, to 30 on some nights. So, um, but, but nice depth there as far as shooters go. I mean, you have now three, really, if you, and, and then Pip, you have four like legit three-point shooters, which is incredibly encouraging because last year you basically had two. Um, so you've doubled in that, in that department. Moving along with guards, and this is where I get really excited. Trey Wood is a freshman out of uh, outside of D.C. And the truth is, coming into the year, I knew he was lightning fast. That's about it. And I knew he could pass. And people were like, oh, yeah, he's really a really passer and he's a pure point guard and blah, blah. I was more encouraged by his performance tonight than any other player on the team. Stu Ludicky, friend of the show, check him out on Twitter. I forget how he spells the last name, but just look at Stu. He's been writing for uh, a website, a college basketball website in the offseason, Busting Brackets, doing a really nice job. Um, Stu had been really high on on uh, Trey Wood all off season. And I was kind of just like, yeah, like whatever, you know, it's cool. Like not really even thinking much. Cause like we have Pip who can play the point, you know, and with the combination of other guards, I just I think much about the need for Trey Wood. He was so impressive tonight. If you, it's a super weird comparison. I'm, I don't want to at all liken him to him, but if you just think of body type, if you remember Jason Will. Is that kind of like he's probably feels like bigger because he's so strong and quick. You just don't want to get in this dude's way. He can get in the lane at will in a way that no one at UMass has been able to since Pipkin, excuse me, since Chaz Giroux was a different type. Like, you know, it's a different type of thing. But in terms of just like end-to-end court speed and and vision and awareness, you just knew right away. It was just like, oh, this guy knows how to play the position. Still apparently not much of a shooter, and that was sort of on display tonight, but it doesn't matter when you have four really good three-point shooters because any time he's on the floor, he's going to have two of those guys around him. And he can distribute already, I think, more adeptly than anyone on the team in the full court. I think Pip is an incredible, um, incredible half court passer and, and, and full court too. I mean, cause he, he gets, he gets steals and deflections, but I just think you, you actually want Pipkins off the ball because he's such a great scorer. And Trey Wood was just supremely unselfish. And I think he finished in double figures. He must've scored a bunch late because 
it, when I was like blown away by him, he wasn't even really scoring. He was just like finding guys and getting in the paint, just kind of making things happen. So he had finished with 10 and four. And like, he must have had those 10 pretty late because I think they pulled everybody and it was like, it was, a, it was a 30 point game with like eight minutes ago. It finished at 24. Um, so I assume he, he kind of put up some numbers down the stretch, but yeah, four for seven, um, 10 points, you know, only turned the ball over twice, played 20 minutes. It's just, there's kind of this comfort level with the ball in their hands. It, it's kind of like when Kellogg didn't do a whole lot of in-game coaching, <laughs> I hate to go back to him. Trey Wood would have been really good because it's like, yeah, you, you just take it and kind of like don't fuck up. And like that was where – and I thought he might have just been like a lightning quick freshman who like ran into traffic and like was like really encouraging but like kind of like a Chris Lowe freshman year type if you if you recall. No, he was just like – he looked like a polished college point guard and I, I did not expect him to be at that level yet. Now, obviously, it's Westfield State and maybe – Maybe that speed and, and those sorts of things uh, show more against a Division three foe like that. But I'm willing to bet that's not the case and that he's going to be really good moving forward. Unique McLean returning from last year. Unique, as we've said many times in this show, is unique, a unique player. He did not play much tonight. I think he was coming off some sort of injury. I guess he checked in the game late. I didn't see it. Um, tough to say what unique is going to be on this team because I didn't see him play tonight. And the thing about him is that he has a unique skill set that is frankly decidedly Kelloggian and different than what McCall's current roster is. So it'll be interesting to see the spots he's thrown into. Um, he's obviously a great athlete and he can really help you in a press. And we saw that, the, that there's going to be more pressure defense tonight, but, um, I'm not sure what his what he's going to be doing on this team. It, it'll be very interesting to see what McCall, um, you know how McCall uses him. It's it's one of my biggest question marks. So, table, Keon Clergio, transfer from Memphis, averaged about three point seven points a game his freshman year there under Tubby Smith. People re- were their fans are really high on him. We heard about him as kind of a defensive menace with great energy. He was all that and then some. The kid is bouncy. He's just going to pester the shit out of opposing ball handlers. And again, he brings the energy and and passion for the game that you see uh, McCall covet in recruits. His shot was pretty putrid tonight. Uh, Didn't look great, not going to lie. But his shot attempts were all good, pretty much. So, uh, you know, I don't, again, it's like, if neither he nor nor Trey Wood are great outside shooters, it doesn't really matter because you have four other really good shooters. And Clergio, he's a little bit of a combo guard. I mean, he he's sort of a point guard, but he's, I think, because Trey Wood was so good with the ball in his hands, I'm sort of like, eh, I don't need him to be a point guard, even though he was very serviceable as a point guard. So he'll play a lot of different, he'll play a lot at the one and the two. And I think the thing about him is that he's tough to keep off the floor because he's clearly a lockdown defender. Like, he just, you just saw it. I mean, the last player like that at UMass to a degree was maybe Derek Gordon, but he's not as, he's a, Derek was sort of like a little hybrid. He could guard a, he could guard a Ford as well. Keon Clergio is that dude 
who like when we play Davidson and it's Kellen Grady and, you know, we play George Mason and it's Otis Livingston and we play, you know, these teams around the league with really legit guards. It's just like Keon shadow this kid and make his life hell. And he's just going to do it. Like you just got that sense right away. Uh, He went two for seven, you know, for three on threes, but um, you know, he had three assists. He didn't have any steals, but it it wasn't, again, it's not the numbers. It's, it's just the intensity. He played 20 minutes. He's going to give us really quality minutes defensively. Very excited to see what he can do. And he can get to the rim. He's super quick. Okay, so there you have it with your guards. Let's move into the forwards quickly. Jonathan Laurent, Rutgers transfer. He was awesome tonight. He's super versatile. He's about 6'6". He can shoot it a little bit. He can put the ball on the floor, and he can rebound. He's bouncy as hell, and he's strong. He's a consummate glue guy. UMass has not had one of those in some time. He really does remind me a lot of like a – Actually, a more athletic Dana Dingle to go to go back some years. No, maybe not as athletic as Dana Dingle. Dana Dingle is pretty awesome. There's a little bit of Terrell Vincent to his game in terms of, but maybe not as good offensively, but more athletic than Dana Dingle. Really bouncy and and just a consummate glue guy. I can't stress that enough. There hasn't been a guy like that on the roster in a few years. He is he just is a winner. He makes the right play consistently. You look at his stat line; it, it reflects exactly what you're hoping for out of him. I mean, obviously it's D3 opponent, but he was four for seven, eleven points. He somehow had three assists. He did have four turnovers. I'm not terribly concerned about that. Um, didn't wasn't spectacular, you know, facing the hoop a couple times, but just in on plays, you know, sort of has a nose for the ball. I'm really encouraged by him, and I, and I just think he's a great glue guy. He's not; he doesn't need to be, you know, the star. He's just, he does all, he's about the right things. It's totally apparent right away. And I think fans are going to really like him. Moving right along. Kalea Turner-Morris played about 12 minutes tonight, returnee from last year. I don't know exactly where Kalea is going to fit this year. He gave us some good minutes. He's a good body, similar to last year. He looks bigger than last year, a little more adept. But he's in a little bit of a tough spot just because he's got Rashawn Holloway, obviously, who didn't play tonight. And um, he's got uh, this kid, Dejiri Baptiste. I may be mispronouncing that, who's coming in from Vanderbilt uh, in December, who's, you know, people who McCall is very high on. So two quality centers in front of him may limit his minutes. Be that as it may, if if he's your you know third string center, you're in pretty good shape. The kid is still huge, gets rebounds, and you know I mean, I I was I have no you know it's it, it, if you're counting on him as your as your dynamic scorer, well you're in trouble, but you're not, so I'm fine there. Okay, now for the encouraging stuff, particularly encouraging stuff I should say for for new stuff, the combination of Cy Chapman and Samba Diallo, two freshmen who actually, the two of them led the team in minutes tonight with 23 and 24 respectively was super encouraging. People on Twitter are going wild for Samba Diallo. And I was actually going wild for Cy Chapman. I think I might've missed some of Samba's highlights because as I look, Cy only had four points, but it felt like other than Wood and Pipkins, obviously, he was in many ways the most encouraging player on the floor. 
Um, he he has size. He has strength. He put on a ton of weight as you know in, in his first summer on campus, and he just has a nose for the ball. He had he had I think he had a nice tip in dunk. He had a great an incredible highlight reel block. He actually finished with three blocks. He you know he was just everywhere, and he just like he just looked like a guy who can be really good here. He he's obviously a tiny bit raw. He's a freshman, but we knew he was an athlete coming in. And I was really impressed with his physicality. I got to watch the game maybe again because, you know, looking at the stat line, I'm like, oh, shit, I could have sworn he, like, dominated the game. It was one of those things. Um, He obviously was doing something right because he played 23 minutes in a game in which no one played over 24. Very high on him. Think he can be, I said, first-team all-league guy by the time it's all done. Maybe that's true. Maybe I was a little excited after a particular play, as I tend to be. Uh, But he's definitely... I mean, he's he's got really, really nice – he's just got a nice combination of skills. He can play a little bit away from the basket, but I was actually surprised. That, I mean, he was basically playing the five tonight with Holloway out. It'll be really interesting to see how McCall goes, you know, because he's really good in a smaller lineup, obviously, as a, as a five. It'll be really interesting to see what McCall does when Holloway returns because you have to get Holloway minutes, but at the same time, you know, defensively, you might at times be better off with – with Chapman. So it'd be very interesting to see how he makes those decisions. Um, Hundred fifty recruit, a sort of six six, very athletic, very high energy kid. I mean he he was just relentless on the way. One time he like almost broke his back going up for a rebound and you're just like, yeah, that's what and you you heard McCall say like he almost goes too hard sometimes. Like he he's just got a motor. Um, a tiny bit raw offensively, but can get in the paint. Um, you know, can put the ball on the floor a little. He's really versatile, and you're, you're just eager to see him on the break. You know, you just know he, he's going to do some fun things in, in a press and on a fast break. Uh, but he, you know, I was sort of like, well, he's coming. He missed most of, I think he missed his entire senior year of high school. So I was kind of like, all right, uh, you know, this will be an adjustment year. No, I think he's going to, he worked him. I mean, he led the team in minutes tonight. Like he just, he was always in the right spots, three for four, six boards. Um, you know, um, he did have a few turnovers, but in general encouraged. Um, I, I think there's, and that, that freshman, I mean, the freshman, as McCall, I think said in the post game presser, like, or, you know, the freshmen were better than the returnees in many ways. And, and the freshmen were certainly better than the transfers tonight. I, all of them were outstanding. I mean, it really outstanding. So I'm encouraged. And am I missing anyone at this point? I think I've gone through the entire roster. The only guys, you know, not there tonight were, were Baptiste and, and, and um, Holloway. So I'm encouraged. You know, energy was great. Talked about all that. Question marks? Um, I thought offensively in the half court, it's clear McCall's been saying this, and McCall's been doing a very good job of managing expectations. He's, he's noting that at the outset, there's a lot of adjusting. There's still eight new players. And it was very clear, like, he just knows his team because he just sort of, yeah, there was, the flow was a little offensively. They got good, they got a lot of great looks, but there were times, you know, where just, you were seeing, you were sort of seeing players thinking. Um, and I think, you know, that'll, that'll fade as the season goes on. There's a lot of, I wish Cal was here to break down some of the X's and O's, but there's kind of these, these certain, there, there's some complicated sets where there, you know, a couple extra screens or a guy runs off something and 
there was just there was just momentary hesitation at, in certain instances, and then I think the lack of a Holloway on the offensive glass at points was apparent. Um, we just didn't kind of own the paint, um, and, and frankly, on the other end as well. So you know, um, those things will come. We missed some 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 threes. Um, ben, you have it in front of you with the. I'm looking at what the final threes were. 11 for 30. Yeah. So they did miss a lot of threes. I mean, you know, that's like, it's like a little better than 33%. So it's not, you know, abjectly atrocious as we saw, you know, sometimes in the Kellogg years, but there's, there's work to be done there for sure. They were very good at the line. I'm not concerned about that. Uh, They were out rebounded. You know, some of that's a function of the fact that they scored a lot more points, but that's concerning. As I said, you know, at the same time, without Holloway and without Baptiste, it's like you're basically missing two seven footers with experience. So it's you kind of you know you you kind of got to put a put an asterisk there a little bit, but certainly gives gives them something to work on. Um, defensively, I loved the energy. I really did. I mean, they gave it thirty points in the first half. It was a little ugly in the early going, but I was fine with that. My question marks remain. How do you incorporate Rashawn Holloway into this offense? Um, that's a big one for me because you can't take him off the you, – you have to play him. I mean, even at times when Holloway's been frustrating, he pretty much always gets you 10 and 5, right, like in 17 minutes of play. You know, there was a point in our – I think in Holloway's career where we, where we were all expecting him to get 18 and 8 and – that may never come, and I don't think it has to. Frankly, if he's getting 18 and 8, it probably means we're not playing the style that McCall sort of wants to put in here. The challenge is he's good enough offensively. He's so good offensively that you can't keep him off the floor if he's out of if he's not in foul trouble. I mean, it's just – and yet, who do you put around him? I don't totally know. I mean, I guess you go with Laurent and three – uh, I, I, it's just Holloway is such a unique player in terms of his size that there's there's no comparable lineup around. I'm, I'm I'm here, but Bennett, if you know what I'm saying, it's just it's hard to go to 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 put him on the floor he's, and not run the and not run the offense through him. Is what I'm he, getting at. He's so different that it kind of cha- he ha- him being on the floor changes how the rest of the team has to be put on the floor. So I think when he's on the floor, you know, he'll face double teams. And at that point, you just need Pierre and Pip to hit threes and one other guy. But maybe because he can at, at times be a little bit of defensive liability, you go with like him, Pip, Pierre, Clergio, who's just going to ball hawk and, 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 you know, make it more difficult to, to get the ball into the paint. Um, now, this is just like cockamamie, like sort of scheming I'm coming up with here. But I think you have a ball hawk defensively, make it hard for, for the uh, opposing teams to run their offense and therefore like get him in foul trouble. And then your fifth guy, I guess, is, is Laurent, you know. Um, or maybe you go straight up like, bonkers with it you put him in the paint and you play wood clergio 
Pierre and Pipkins. I mean, there's like so many weird. Nah, that's probably not going to happen. The point is, he, you saw what McCall wants to do tonight. When Holloway's not here, which is run and get in passing lanes and press and sort of have these hybrid bigs who can step out and, and defend on the perimeter, on the pick and roll in particular. And yet, if you have a dominant big man who's a fifth-year senior, you can't really justify taking him out. So that's that's a that's a question for me. Um, question two is really just a matter of, and I was very encouraged by it tonight, but will guys sort of accept their roles and their identities? This is always a, a question in college basketball. A lot of kids who want to be the star. And this team, I think, lends itself very nicely to sort of role definition because there are guys who have unique skill sets that other guys don't. I think under Kellogg, you often have had six, seven, eight, nine guys who all sort of did the same thing. A lot of length, you know, could jump through the gym, like to shoot it. But this team has like more tangible skill guys. So you have Keon, Kieran Hayward is a shooter. Keon Clergio is a defensive menace. Trey Wood is a pure point guard who can distribute the basketball and get in the and get into the lane and force teams to collapse and, and kick out and things of that nature. So I'm just you know always concerned that you know you want guys to sort of maximize what they're great at and bring what they can to the team. And that's always a question mark in any college basketball team is just how bought in, how locked in are these guys. And then, you know, I'm actually not concerned about how quickly the freshman will come along. That's like my one thing I, I was going to ask, but pose tonight sort of answer a lot of that for me. Not that they won't make mistakes, but just that they're clearly ready to play at this level. Um, very encouraged by that. So, like the depth, uh, lots to be excited about. Let's go to some questions. It's time for Sam the Mailman, your UMass Athletics mailbag updates. First question tonight comes from at Not My Day Off, Matt Broderick, friend of the show. Uh, I believe he's in the Boston area. Let's see, where is Matt? No, he's in Jersey City. He's not by me. That's right. He's going to be at the A-10 tournament this year, which you should absolutely be at at the Barclays Center in the second or third week of March. Anyway, he says, does Pipkins win A-10 player of the year? How much production can we expect out of Holloway? And the game you're most excited for this season. All right, so three questions. Let's go bang, bang, bang. Pipkins absolutely could win player of the year. I'm going to say... Gosh, the, he was so poised tonight. 21 points on 6 of 9 shooting in 20 minutes. I know it's a Division three opponent, but I'm like, how could he not win player of the year? And yet, I think the depth was even more impressive in many ways. So I'm going to say no, because they're going to want to give it to a senior. Or Kellen Grady from Davidson is going to be so dominant and like a top 15 draft pick that they're going to be inclined to like give it to him for weird reasons. But... I'm going to say no, and yet he should or could. I, I hate the question. I mean, I, I love the question, but you know what I'm saying. It's like, 
No. I'm going to say no. But I want him to, and he should. How much production can we expect out of Holloway? Yeah, so that we just raised that question. I, I don't fucking know. I mean, I think we should expect what we've gotten in past years. Points, five or six rebounds, and fouling out after 17 to 22 minutes. And I say that not cynically and not uh, resentfully at all. I've come to be fully okay and actually even happy about that because that's all we need from him right now. If he can give us more, awesome. And there will be nights where he does. But I'm I'm not going to do this thing, which I did like last year and even to a degree two years ago where I'm like, oh, he's going to be the most dominant big in the A-10 and then be disappointed. So he gives us more wonderful. But 10 and 6 is pretty damn good. And especially on a team where there's, you know, 10, 11 guys who are really going to get, who have a chance at really meaningful minutes, uh, I'm fine with that. And I think, frankly, we shouldn't even expect that much because he doesn't have to play as much. We should probably expect seven and a half and four and a half and then be not surprised when we get a lot of 10 and five nights, 10 and six nights. Bennett, you got one on that? Do you have anything on that, Holloway? All right. All right. Game I'm most excited about, well, we don't know if it's going to take place, but if UMass can get by a good Southern Illinois team in Las Vegas uh, on Thanksgiving Day, then the next day they would more than likely play Nevada, who many people think is a is a Final Four contender this year. Made an Elite Eight run last year, returns the whole core of that team, and it's really tough. And it'll be an amazing opportunity for us at a neutral site. Funny enough, McKinney from Twitter, Stats McKinney, as they call him, um, made the point that Nevada, the university, is actually eight hours from Vegas, so it's not it's not actually like, but it's still a de facto road game. I mean, it's still it's a neutral site game, but like. I don't care. It's in Nevada. So like that would be super encouraging uh, if we got to play them. And as far as other games, Davidson at home because of Kellen Grady's talents and obviously Rody at home as well. And then the Harvard game, of course, uh, just two weeks, short weeks from the day we're recording this, uh, which is Tuesday night, October 30th. So that game is in two weeks. I won't be able to make it, but I really am excited for that because they're going to be really good. All right. Next question comes to us from... Someone by with the handle sports commentator or sports commenter, but the in each two words are actually zeros. It appears to be new on uh, the UMass Twitter sphere, and his kind of like this. It appears that his avatar is a picture of Wilson from the uh, classic Tom Hanks film Castaway. So props to you for that. He says, is there any value in playing Westfield State? Is UMass unable to schedule a more competitive team for an exhibition? Can't see any upside for playing a team that's not competitive. Uh, Yes, there is value. And if I'm not mistaken, um, I don't think you can play a Division I opponent in these. I'm not sure of NCAA rules, but I'm fairly sure you can't because um, you have the closed scrimmage thing, which is against Siena, and they already did that. But I'm pretty sure once – you can't play a division one opponent in a formal game until the season is declared, you know, underway. And 
I, I think Westfield State's not very good. I, I always would like to play Amherst College, who is a perennial D3 power, and frankly, in a good year, as good, or I should say would beat a lower-tier Patriot League-type team between two and four times, which would be three times. But uh, so I, And I think it would be just fun for everyone involved um, to play Amherst College. So I don't see why we wouldn't do that. But no, I see value in this. Look, Division three, you know, it's obviously not Division one, and it's but top tier Division three teams like Springfield College, the Springfield College team from last year made it to the national title, albeit they were the last team to make the tournament and made like an insane run. But the point is that was a better team than this Westfield State team, um, and but I still see value because I, I mean there's still college athletes, they're they bodies, and it's good to just get under the lights. I think to to be in the Mullen Center, especially for freshmen and transfers, you can't underestimate that. So. Um, you know, if Luan Pipkins had, you know, uh, torn his ACL, would I be saying something different? Probably. But I, I do see value in it. I just think it's good to run your sets and kind of, you know, um, you know yeah, I think you can learn some things. I think we actually learned a lot tonight. I think it's good for the for the young guys. Okay. the At the Woody East. The Woody East. <laughs> uh, he says, Cobb's athleticism, question mark. Didn't see him get out get to the basket much in Fairfield highlights. Realize he's a shooter first, but it's the Mac, as in the M-A-A-C. Full faith in the 508 always. That's where he's from, because um, he's from the Fall River, New Bedford area. But wondering. Yeah, so it's a good question. And the thing about um, Cobb, I want to I actually I want to see more than anyone else in the in the game against even UMass Lowell is that as I said, he did his numbers were really good. I think. Ben, you have his numbers in front of you? Cobb was four for nine with three for six from three. Okay, so again, the reason I want to see him against Division One opponent is that you're right. He's not freakishly explosive, but he holds on to the ball well and like creates his own shot. So yeah, there's a certain thing where you're watching him and you're like, mm, I don't really know if he was playing in a, you know, like five versus 12 seed game against like some incredibly athletic kid from Baylor if he'd be able to get a shot off, but he sure could tonight. And, you know, so he, I don't want to cast aspersions because I just, I just am wondering sort of what his game will look like against, um, better opponents because tonight like yeah there were these moments where you're like eh, that's going in and it's looking you know great but like it just felt like a touch slow but i don't even mean that in a negative way i really don't it just it just was like it's not the same explosiveness that you come to expect um you know at a, at a high level of division one basketball but yet pipkin sometimes doesn't look like freakishly explosive he's just able to get a shot off consistently and get in the lane and not to liken him to pipkins but Cobb did the same so it's definitely um it's definitely you know that's definitely gonna be something worth worth exploring um mv digga from martha's vineyard lord digga 14 on twitter raises a good question how many a10 teams do you see dancing so the a10 and we'll cal and i will really get this one we'll go over schedule in our preview that's what we'll do that's what that's the that's see this is why we had to do an exhibition game exhibition episode we had to learn what we needed to get to so bennett make a note of that we got to go over the schedule that's the big thing we skipped tonight and i'm glad because cal loves that shit so 
the thing about the league this year, and I'm making this up, there are actually 11 teams that I think could win the Atlantic 10. Other than LaSalle, Fordham, and GW, I really think every single team in the league could make a plausible case. I think Bonaventure is going to have a slightly down year, but you can't count them out, and they have a nice transfer from UNLV plus two solid dudes back despite losing their two-star guards and an outstanding coach, and nobody ever wants to go to Olean to play. So don't ever count them out. Uh, you know, even Rody, new coach, put three really good players back in a great recruiting class. You just unfortunately can't completely count them out. Dayton has a lot of guys back. It's, you know, so this is a wide open league. That said, it really feels more like there's 11 NIT teams in this league. And like, no, well, I would say St. Louis is a definitive NCAA tournament team and a prohibitive favorite to win the league. And yet, Travis Ford, who I no longer hate, FYI, after he came back to UMass last year and I got my, my uh, visceral anger out at him, I pretty much moved on from that. I still don't think he's a great coach. I, I think he is a good recruiter. I think he – I just don't think Travis Ford is the guy you want to bet on in a, you know, in, a, in a weekend tournament when you have guys like Bob McKillop and Dave Paulson and, and frankly, Matt McCall and um, – Mark Schmidt and, and, you know, some others. So I am loath to say how many tournament teams. I think St. Louis is the best team in the league. They should get in. I don't know if they're going to win the league. So let's say somebody else. It's going to be tough for there to be a third. I haven't seen everyone's non-conference schedule. The hope is that somebody would get a marquee win or two and get you up to three. I think the A-10s managed to get at least three for over a decade plus now. There's an article on this somewhere, but it's getting harder and harder, particularly with top-tier programs not scheduling A-10 teams as much. So um, I'm going to say three, but if I was setting the odds in Vegas, I'd say two and a half would be the appropriate line. Okay, Jack O. Envelopes, O'Brien1219 poses the question, what does sign guy do now that Staples is virtually out of business? He doesn't strike me as an Amazon guy. Do you think he gets his construction paper in bulk at Costco? So, or um, does he hoard it from a local college art department? Good questions. Uh, I feel like sign man's, a lot of his signs are, are like old. Like, and I feel like he has supplies from back in the day. And he's still working in in kind of that, not magic marker, but the like really thick ones that, I forget what they're called. But like, I think he might still be working off old materials. Um, I, I raised on Twitter tonight the, 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 the concern that his Trey Wood signs are just going to be peak sign man. I mean, I mean, Trey, first of all, Trey is both, he can recycle Trey Davis signs. And Trey also means three. And then would rhymes with good, should, could. Um, any others? Uh, could, did. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot there's a lot to work with there. So um, looking forward to it. Gregory Ledger, UMass Iron Man on Twitter. A, an, an engineer out of the greater Washington, D.C. area. Anyone who knows me knows that I'm fairly insecure about not having a uh, 
facility with STEM subjects. So I really um, like to pick the UMass engineers brains. And if you ever want to help in any way in this program, I'll find, I'll find a way. So please let me know. And that could include just like tutoring me in like weird STEM shit. Anyway, what are your feelings on your good friends team? Are you a little excited about them? For basketball, what are reasonable expectations for upcoming games? Okay, so he's referring to, for, for new listeners to the show, my good friend Greg Carvel. Or is it Carvel? Bennett it's Carvel or Carvel? Car- I believe it's Carvel. I mean, as a good friend, I, I should, you know, I know that it's. Well, it's Carvel, as, a, as a good friend, you let him decide and you don't I'll judge, him, him. You don't judge no. him for how he pronounces his name. However he wants to identify, I'm totally cool with that. Um, I'm. I'm very, I'm very woke. So, um, the hockey coach, Greg, good friend of mine on Twitter, recurring meme on the show for those of you who are new. I'm ecstatic. I think, though I don't know shit about hockey, I know a little more than, well, no, I don't know about hockey. Let me say this. There is a million reasons why UMass should not logically be a basketball or football power in any way whatsoever and it's a constant battle to um, overcome those institutional and structural challenges there is absolutely no reason why UMass hockey should not consistently be a national power I was looking at the hockey rankings the other day it's like Minnesota Duluth Minnesota State St. Cloud State, like Union, like there's no reason why directional state schools in Great Lakes country and liberal arts colleges in fucking Schenectady should be hockey powers and the flagship university for one of the country's foremost hockey states should not be a consistent national power. In a sport where there's only probably what seventy Division One teams, and I think less. I think it's in the fifties. Like, really, that was like sixty-five and change. I don't know. I thought I heard sixty one time, and I figured that as time passed, there's always like Nebraska, Omaha, and all these random schools that pick up hockey. Arizona so like State, that. baby. All right. So anyway, it's the flagship university. They have a practice facility. They have it is a sixty greater- exactly sixty. Okay. They have a great arena. They're in the best league in the country. I mean, like, it's almost, it's like, I'm sure a friend of the show, uh, Fear the Triangle, who does great work on UMass hockey, could, you know, uh, pontificate and at great length and provide really interesting insights into why UMass hockey was so abjectly terrible for so long. Obviously, they restarted the program in the early 90s. We're at a bit of a disadvantage in BC. BU, um, you know, all the Boston schools dominant. I get that. But it seemed to me, and again, I don't know the sport that well, but Jack Parker, Jerry York, these guys who were kind of like hockey, college hockey stalwarts, it seemed to me that those programs were dependent on their being there because I looked the other day as I've been getting more interested in UMass hockey as they rise the rankings. I've been doing a little more research. And it seems like without those guys there, those teams suck. And the same thing happened, I think, at Maine or UNH, who used to also be awesome back in the day. But there's no reason that as those teams lose great coaches or whatever, that UMass shouldn't. And, like, frankly, I still think UMass, like UMass is a 
it should be a good job for hockey coach. The pay scale, it's not as expensive as a sport. You know, the, the pay scale for, for coaches isn't as high, so you can afford to find somebody really good. Um, you know, UMass should be awesome, and it's great to see them being awesome. And I think that if he stays, they could be awesome for a long, long time. Um, they have no – it just doesn't strike me as there being any sort of – because it's still a national sport in terms of recruitment, it strikes me as. Like, they're always getting kids from Canada and overseas. So it's not like, you know, you're – yeah, you're competing with the Boston schools, and, like, that's hard. Um, But I just think UMass has a tremendous amount to offer, and um, I, I'm thrilled. He says, for basketball, what are reasonable expectations for upcoming games? So I think the first – other than the Harvard game, all the games before uh, Vegas should be won. My goal is to – I think you have to get one of the three of the two in Vegas and the Harvard. And it would be wonderful if you got two out of three of those. So if you opened – so what am I missing here, Bennett? You got the schedule in front of you? I'm pulling it, I'm pulling it up now because right, I have the athletics page already open. Uh, men's basketball schedule. All right. So, after Harvard, you have Harvard, Howard, which I'm very unhappy is in, in Amherst. I'd love to have it here in D.C. Uh, Arkansas. Wait. Sorry, you start with Lowell, and then who's the next game? Uh, UNH. That's right. So, those are two wins. Harvard is at home, so it's a could be win, but it'll be a tough game. They bring a lot, a lot back. Home Keep against going. home against Howard, win. Home against Arkansas Pine Bluff, win. Vegas against SIU. Okay, so you go. Let's let's hope you go into Vegas at four and one. You absolutely should. You could go in at five and zero. Oh. The hope would be to win at least one, and then probably lose to Nevada. Uh, I would love to be six and one, five and two. I'm I'm fine with. And then you come into December with what? Holy Cross next? Well, you have, you have Quinnipiac on the 28th. Um, All right, that's a win. Yeah. Holy Cross at home. This is what we're going to – and this is what we're going to do with Cal, so I don't want to get too into it. But So you could be what? If you win one of two and you beat Harvard, you could be at the end of the month. You could be – or like after Holy Cross, you could be what? Eight and one? one seven two, and one? Three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You could be seven and one. All right, so like seven and one, and then shit gets real, and we'll talk about it in the next episode. Because then you got like Providence and like Temple Providence, and Temple, Georgia, Georgia, in so then it gets tough. Yeah. Let's let's hope you go seven and one and six and two at a bare minimum, because the other six opponents are are are, are bad, um, pretty much bad. So I mean, you know, they have a slip up, but maybe you have a slip up, but then you beat Harvard. If it's like you lose to Holy Cross or whatever, fine, but you got to be six and two. You got to be. Um, all right. Next question comes from, um, Dan Mayo donor to the show. Seems like a really good dude at Dan underscore M A I O says as a newbie to UMass Twitter, do we have guiding principles we stand by? Are we allowed to tweet at the players? Only positive tweets. Is tweeting at the coaches allowed? Positive tweets only? Negative tweets? Both? Wondering if we set rules for ourselves, and if so, what are they? This is a this is an entire episode, Dan. It may only attract the most impassioned UMass Twitter 
community, but I don't even feel equipped myself to be the lone one answering it because so many wonderful people on UMass Twitter, I mean that completely ser- in complete seriousness. Um, I'll tell you personally what I like about UMass Twitter and the tone that I seek to project, and I, I honestly would never seek to speak on behalf of UMass Twitter because there's so many great people with their own you know, independent thoughts. But I think the, if speaking for myself, and I, and I think, you know, uh, the vibe I detect and that I try to project myself is, is that it's a place for, and one of the last places on the internet for what I would call good faith disagreement. So if you disagree with someone, that's totally fine. It's not personal. It's not like you're an asshole, you're a fucking idiot. It's just, and I'm talking about like on basketball and, you know, sports, UMass matters, whatever. Good faith disagreement, like, you know, yeah, I disagree. And you're, you're doing it in good faith. You're not just like doing it to be a shithead. So that's like one. Um, I think tweeting at players in general, try to minimize it. When I get really hyped, I'll throw a tweet out at someone. Um, I do, and I'm going to have to say this, if there's any players listening or their parents or whatever, I'm not going to lie to you. Like During the season, particularly in games, I, I get really fired up, and I may complain about your kid or you, know, you if you're a player listening to this. That's been, I've been trying to resist to a degree, but like I, I got to be me. It is not personal whatsoever. Please know that it is a function of my passion for the program, for the team. It's not rational. In-game tweeting is just like a, is a, is a, is a, you know, emotional and uh, uh, harrowing experience at times. And I, you know, I I think (laughs) players this day and age will routinely search their names afterwards. I would encourage you not to not to personalize it. People go after me sometimes on Twitter. I understand it sucks. I try not to personalize it, but that's real. Uh, tweeting at recruits, uh, I find it uh, uncomfortable, bizarre, and yet entirely acceptable if there's a good chance that the kid might come here and change the program. Those things may be uh, not, you know, not <laughs> that may contra- those things may contradict one another, but Fandom is inherently rational, so fuck it. Um, but yeah, rules. I don't want to ever set like codified rules where there's like some constitution for a like sort of, you know, uh, not like thing that exists on paper. It's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a vibes thing. It's a spirit thing. It's like, what's the spirit of UMass Twitter? And the spirit is good faith disagreement, passionate, you know, cheering and exchanges. I will not succumb to the periodic, uh, you know, there's a small subset of what I would call the kind of eternally positives. I I am not going to be irrationally negative, but I'm also not going to just like, you know, I'm not the public relations department for University of Massachusetts athletics or basketball. And let's never forget that. I'm not, and I'm not a journalist for covering this team in a formal objective fashion. So um, you don't have to be relentlessly positive, but don't be, uh, a dickhead for no reason. You know, like if you're frustrated about something, convey the point and like, don't, you know, I think that's, that's fair. And then, um, tweeting at coaches. Uh, yeah, I think it's fine to tweet at coaches. I mean, 
I've stayed out of a lot of the fire Whipple stuff until very recently when Bamford snarked at me on Twitter. And I basically said, yeah, uh, I'll stop like using fancy words, which he was making fun of when you fire a football coach. Kind of regret that tweet just because it was kind of a little reactive on my part. And like, I never want to actively root for someone to get fired in a public fashion. And yet I do think he needs to be fired if, if we want to be totally real. But I don't need to like, it's like, I've made my point and now it's like, all right, I'm, I'm hoping he makes the right decision, but people have families and like, I don't know. I, I same thing with Kellogg. Like I, I don't, I don't take joy in, in there. You know, I'm, I'm going to be happy to know that we're moving in a new direction, but, and I'll be apoplectic if we don't, but I'm not going to be like, yeah, fire this motherfucker. Like every two seconds, you know, it's like, all right, the points out there. Um, good questions though. Really good questions from Dan Bennett. You got anything to add on that? I mean, yeah, my, my, and this is just kind of how it is on Twitter with rare exception. The basic rules, just don't be a dick unless it's T-U-R-I. I think that's, yep. that's, 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 about and that's it. one I've pushed for, uh, relentlessly. Good call. That that's basically it. Like, don't, don't be an asshole unless it's for a good reason. Um, and be friend and like, it's, it's totally fine to make a lot of St. Bonaventure jokes, but even some of their fans are fun. Um, so like there's, I just, it's like a tone thing. It's a fine line between like just being a shithead. And like, I do actually sometimes worry though, that not worry, but it's a good problem to have that when, and I do believe there is a when, not an if UMass gets really good. UMass Twitter, which is a growing, but still very niche community will be inundated with a with with a lot of new people and that's good but sometimes as the season starts there are people who come aboard and they're just like they're not as locked in on us uh, into in on the team as us and that's perfectly reasonable in fact if you are as locked in on the team as us like and you're still listening to the podcast at this hour like there's probably something wrong with you it's something wrong with me it's, it's it's a healthy sort of something wrong with you but the point is there's the casuals who kind of come in sometimes and like they kind of try to like, you know, talk shit and they just like aren't in on the, on, and I don't, I don't, I don't ever want it to be like an exclusive community because the whole point is to grow it and grow the fan base. That's part of the reason I do the show. But at the same time, like I do sometimes worry that people will come in and just be bad representatives of our fan base to a degree. And, and Absolutely. like, it's a good, it's a good problem to have, but I think like in many ways, <laughs> us and George Mason and some of the programs in the league with fewer like in-person fans have like much better Twitter spheres, if that makes sense, just because they're like, yeah, we fucking give a shit about something that hasn't been terribly relevant in a while. Whereas a VCU um, or even a Dayton, um, there's just uh, certainly URI last year, which is just a, and I'm not even saying this because I hate you, right? Like, that is just a putrid, just scum of the earth, low life bunch of fucking <laughs> bandwagon jumping. Well, that's just like, that's, you that, know, for, third rate, not funny, not like, not able to detect, you know, irony on the internet. Just, just, a, it's just bad internet is what it is. Like, regardless of, of the fact that they root for just an abominable program in every way. A coach who was just, you know, a complete shithead. Regardless, there's like, like I've, I, I've never met like a worth, I'm sure there's a couple of them, but like 
that Rhode Island fan base is I, just yeah. I know a couple kids who are solid. The dredges but, of of the dredges of Atlantic Ten humanity. Yeah, like I think with, when new people come, it's that it's walking that balance between like no one like gatekeeping might be the worst thing on the internet, and that's saying a lot. One hundred percent. Shit, one hundred percent is. But like it, it's finding that balance with with newer fans between like them kind of getting in on it because like. Again, I'm gonna use an example from when I was a student because that's the best I got. Like I was going freshman year against Towson. I was going to all these shit games. My junior year was their tournament team, and everyone was showing up. And there were, you know, it was yeah. the it was the UMass fucking Amherst shirts, and it was the kids being dickheads on TV. But like, you know what? They were the there. like Bruins, the Bruins looking barstool flag. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah. I'm a barstool reader. Don't get me wrong, but if you bring a barstool Bruins looking flag to a game, like, dude, fuck off! Like you're yeah. trying to get on TV. You're trying to get like a thing. Right, you're trying to get a retweet. You're is... trying to get a retweet. That's all you. Yeah, like yeah. J- just it, again, it kind of goes back to don't be a dick. Pink cats. They're pink cats. You know. Yeah, yeah. Like don't be a dick, but like, you know, learn read read the room. Basically, if if you're gonna if you're stepping into the fandom, that's awesome. We, we I'd love to have you in the fandom. Just like, don't jump in too quickly, assuming you're in on everything. It's everything a low bar, that. and read read the room is exactly the thing. And I do think, like, look, I have many deficiencies in life, but reading the internet room is one of the uh, few skits. Like Malcolm Gladwell, you know, ten thousand hours. I, I probably spent ten thousand hours reading the room on the internet, so I've gotten fairly good at it. Uh, that's not something to be terribly proud of, but it, it, it is what it is. So I just think like people, if they, if they're having trouble reading the room, like pose the question to the pod, like we'll debate it. Like there's plenty of people who will offer. And like the thing that's nice about UMass Twitter is that because it's not massive, like people still, the spirit of it is still like pretty, you know, like people come hat in hand. Nobody's like, there's, I mean, you get like jerks in the mentions once in a while. And like, there's one or two people after the Calipari interview who had some, on you know unflattering things to say or like there's there's that one troll who hops in my mentions once in a while but it's like in general like nobody's here to like you know right we're we're all right we're you know we're not important people we're fucking umass basketball Uh, bennett bennett you're a very important person Uh, and in the tiny sphere in which we inhabit i would like to believe that (laughs) there is a modicum of importance to what we do because if there's not well it's 12.09 12.09 a.m. Halloween, and I'm talking about a basketball team that just played an exhibition game in front of an unknown amount of people. 643 people, 217 of which were probably Westfield State fans, and another 186 who are listeners of this show and were tweeting during it. So let's just hope that we maintain a modicum of um, – significance in this tiny slice of the internet because if we don't well then i'm just wasting even more time anyway um so let's see i okay so we have another question from this one went a little longer than i was expecting this show to go but that's fine um oh see the problem is you look through these questions okay eric friedlander efried 97 by the way, if you like soccer, Eric's a senior at UMass, UMass Twitter stalwart. If you're a fan of soccer in America, follow him. He knows his fucking shit. He says, which of the three freshmen 
is most likely to have a Pierre-like season where every game they get a little better and slowly move into a starting role? It's a great question because all three of them tonight certainly made a case. And ultimately, if any emerge as starters, it's going to be a function not of whether they're the best of the three per se, but of what the needs of the team are in a given moment. So because you have Holloway and this kid Baptiste coming in from Vanderbilt in December, it seems that Chapman probably won't be that guy. That's not to say Chapman's not the best of the three. He may end up being the best of the three. I don't know. It's just that you have two established centers. So it's like, mm, I don't know. But maybe he plays the four. I don't know. Laurent seems pretty locked in at that spot. Trey Wood, I think, is going to be the hardest to keep off the floor in that he's probably, he very well may already be the best end-to-end ball handler on the roster. He may be the guy who, going, you know, if you're playing the old Arkansas Razorback style of 94 feet of hell, if you're playing that style, he's the guy you want on the floor. And if McCall chooses to play that style for 30 minutes a night, as opposed to 12, well, he's going to be the guy who might start. Now, the most versatile of those three is probably Samba Diallo. And he can fit in a bunch of different lineups. That being said, he's not like a specialist as much as some of the others. So I don't see him as a regular starter. I sort of see him slotting in at all different positions and mixing and matching. So all three of those guys could start. I really believe that. Like by the end of the year, all three of those guys could start. You could make a case right now. Certainly that. I mean, I think, again, starting is a little bit over to a degree. I think that Cobb started tonight, but like, and he was very good. But you could easily have, um, you could easily have Trey Wood or Keon Clergio as the as the that the starter at that position, and then just if if it was Trey Wood, you'd you'd slot Pipkins into the sort of an off guard spot, and you'd have Pierre there as well. So like, actually, yeah, it's probably Trey Wood. I'm not gonna lie, I, he was my biggest takeaway from tonight. I, I'm I'm salivating at the prospect of him like, and also of him leading the offense. And also he doesn't need to shoot the ball to be effective at all. He doesn't really need a score. So there's something to be said about just having a, a steady distributor who I don't, I need to watch the tape again, but I think he's a pretty good defender too. But then again, like Claire goes a better defender. So I don't know. I, it's a great question. I, I hate, I'm sorry that I'm being indecisive. It's just, we haven't seen enough to say definitively. All right. So looks like we've hit all the questions. Guys, thanks for bearing with us tonight. Um, I know I've probably pulled the uh, some variation of it's an exhibition game excuse before, probably three, four, five times on our in our 26 or so episode history. So uh, apologies for pulling it tonight, but we were just itching, and so we hosted a show. No one's forcing you to listen to. Send us your feedback, as always. Uh, Cal and I will come back with a more substantive schedule breakdown before, I hope, before the opener on Tuesday. I will not be in attendance. If anyone wants to use my tickets for that, ideally you'd pay for them. But if you can't, like, 
let me know. Slide in the DMs. I'm always here to help in that regard. Uh, so enjoy your week, and we will talk to you, I really hope, before the opener next Tuesday. Peace.